In the previous episode, we heard Dr. Leonardo Kitangon's younger brother Jean tell Pablo Cabading, Lydia's father, that he will go to Maragondon Cavite to urge the couple to come back. This was after Cabading went with his wife to the Kitangon house in Santa Mesa and pointed a gun at Jean, demanding that he produce Lydia. In this episode, we'll listen to the tragic ending of Nick Joaquin's story about a controlling father who couldn't bear to lose her daughter to the man she married. You're listening to Stories After Dark, a Philippine true crime and mystery podcast powered by Anchor and released exclusively on Spotify. This is the second of two parts of a story based on true events called The House on Zapote Street, written by Nick Joaquin under his pseudonym Quijano de Manila, first published in 1961 in the weekly news magazine Philippines Free Press, and then later published as part of Reportage on Crime, 13 Horror Happenings That Hit the Headlines. Permission for this story to be read on this podcast was granted by the folks behind Nick Joaquin, He Lives, the official Facebook page celebrating everything Nick Joaquin. Please follow the page at facebook.com slash Lives. Lending her voice briefly in this episode is Jessica, host of the Asian Madness podcast, a show about true crime, superstitions, urban legends, mysteries, and weird news from the Asian continent. You can listen to the Asian Madness podcast on Spotify. Listener discretion is advised due to the graphic and sensitive nature of this story. It was about 8 in the evening when Jean arrived in Maragondon. As his car drove into the yard of his family's old house, Lydia and Leonardo appeared at a window and frantically asked what had happened. Nothing, said Jean, and their faces lit up. We're having our honeymoon at last, Lydia told Jean as he entered the house, and the old air of dread, of mystery, did seem to have lifted from her face. But it was there again when, after supper, he told them what had happened in Santa Mesa. I can't go back, she moaned. He'll kill me. He'll kill me. He has cooled down now, said Jean. He seems to be a reasonable man after all. Oh, you don't know him, cried Lydia. I've known him longer, and I've never, never been happy. And the brothers at last had glimpses of the girlhood she had been so reticent about. She told them of Kabading's baffling changes of temper, especially toward her. How smiles and fond words and caresses could abruptly turn into beatings when his mood darkened. Leonardo said that his father-in-law was an artista. Remember how he used to fan me when I supped there while I was courting Lydia? At about that time in Santa Mesa, Nonilo Kitangon, on guard at the gate of his family's house, saw Kabading drive past three times in a taxi. I can't force you to go back, said Jean. You'll have to decide that yourselves. But what actually are you planning to do? You can't stay forever here in Maragondon. What would you live on? The two said they would talk it over for a while in their room. Jean waited at the supper table and when a long time had passed and they had not come back, he went to the room. Finding the door ajar, he looked in. Lydia and Leonardo were on their knees on the floor saying the rosary. Jean returned to the supper table. After another long wait, the couple came out of the room. Said Lydia, We have prayed together and we have decided to die together. We will go back with you in the morning. They were back in Manila early the next day. 
Lydia and Leonardo went straight to the house in Santa Mesa where all their relatives and friends warned them not to go back to the house on Zapote Street as they had decided to do. Confused anew, they went to the Manila police headquarters to ask for advice, but the advice given seemed drastic to them. Summon Kabading and have it out with him in front of his superior officer. Leonardo's father then offered to go to Zapote with Jean and Donilo to try to reason with Kabading. They found him in good humor, full of smiles and hearty greetings. He reproached his balae for not visiting him before. I did come once, dryly remarked the elder Kitangon, but no one would open the gate. Kabading had his wife called. She came into the room and sat down. Was I in the house that night our balae came? Her husband asked her. No, you were out, she replied. Having spoken her piece, she got up and left the room. On their various visits to the house on Zapote Street, the Kitangons noticed that Mrs. Kabading appeared only when summoned and vanished as soon as she had done whatever was expected of her. Kabading then announced that he no longer objected to Lydia's moving out of the house to live with her husband in an apartment of their own. Overjoyed, the Kitangons urged Kabading to go with them to Santa Mesa so that the newlyweds could be reconciled with Lydia's parents. Kabading readily agreed. When they arrived in Santa Mesa, Lydia and Leonardo were sitting on a sofa in the sala. Why have you done this? Her father chided her gently. If you wanted to move out, did you have to run away? To Leonardo he said, And you, are you angry with me? Then he repeated his announcement that he was all for letting the newlyweds set up house by themselves. Jean Kitangon felt so elated he proposed a celebration. I'll throw a blowout, everybody is invited. This is on me. So they all went to Max's in Quezon City and had a very merry fried chicken party. This is a family reunion, laughed Kabading. This should be on me. But Jean would not let him pay the bill. Early the next morning, Kabading called up the Santa Mesa house to say that his wife had fallen ill. Would Lydia please visit her? Leonardo and Lydia went to Zapote, found nothing the matter with her mother and returned to Santa Mesa. After lunch, Leonardo left for his classes. Then Kabading called up again. Lydia's mother refused to eat and kept asking for her daughter. Would Lydia please drop in again at the house on Zapote? Jean and Nonilo Kitangon said they might as well accompany Lydia there and start moving out her things. When they arrived at the Zapote house, the Kitangon brothers were amused by what they saw. Mrs. Kabading, her eyes closed, lay on the parlor sofa, a large towel spread out beneath her. She has been lying there all day, said Kabading, tossing restlessly, asking for you, Lydia. Jean noted that the towel was neatly spread out and didn't look crumpled at all and that Mrs. Kabading was obviously just pretending to be asleep. He smiled at the childishness of the stratagem, but Lydia was past being amused. She went straight to her room where they heard her pulling out drawers. While the Kitangons and Kabading were conversing, the supposedly sick mother slipped out of the sofa and went upstairs to Lydia's room. Kabading told the Kitangons that he wanted Lydia and Leonardo to stay there at the house on Zapote. I thought all that was settled last night, Jean groaned. I built this house for Lydia, persisted Kabading. And this house is hers. If she and her husband want to be alone, I and my wife will move out of here, turn this house over to them. Jean wearily explained that Lydia and Leonardo preferred the apartment they had already leased. Suddenly, the men heard the clatter of a drawer falling upstairs. Jean surmised that it had fallen in a struggle between mother and daughter. Excuse me, said Kabading, rising. 
As he went upstairs, he said to the Kitangons over his shoulder, Don't misunderstand me. I'm not going to coach Lydia. He went into Lydia's room and closed the door behind him. After a long while, Lydia and her father came down to the sala together. Lydia was clasping a large crucifix. There was no expression on her face when she told the Kitangon boys to go home. But I thought we were going to start moving your things out this afternoon, said Jean. She glanced at the crucifix and said it was one of the first things she wanted taken to her new home. Just tell Narding to fetch me, she said. Back in Santa Mesa, Jean and Nonilo had the painful task of telling Leonardo when he phoned that Lydia was back in the house in Zapote. Why did you leave her there? cried Leonardo. He'll beat her up. I'm going to get her. Jean told him not to go alone, to pass by the Santa Mesa house first and pick up Nonilo. Jean could not go along. He had to catch a bus for Subic where he works. When Leonardo arrived, Jean told him, Don't force Lydia to go with you. If she doesn't want to, leave at once. Do not for any reason be persuaded to stay there too. The Dark Knight When his brothers had left for Zapote, Jean realized that he was not sure he was going to Subic. He felt too worried. He knew he couldn't rest easy until he had seen Lydia and Leonardo settled in their new home. The minutes quickly ticked past as he debated with himself whether he should stay or catch that bus. Then at about a quarter to seven, the phone rang. It was Nonilo, in anguish. Something terrible has happened in Lydia's room. I heard four shots, he cried. Who are up there? Lydia and Narting and the Kabadings. I'll be right over. Jean sent a younger brother to inform the family lawyer and to alert the Makati police. Then he drove like mad to Zapote. It was almost dark when he got there. The house stood perfectly still, not a light on inside. He watched it from a distance but could see no movement. Then a taxi drove up and out jumped Nonilo. He had telephoned from a gasoline station. He related what had happened. He said that when he and Leonardo arrived at the Zapote house, Kabading motioned Leonardo upstairs. Lydia is in her room. Leonardo went up. Kabading gave Nonilo a cup of coffee and chatted amiably with him. Nonilo saw Mrs. Kabading go up to Lydia's room with a glass of milk. A while later, they heard the woman scream, followed by sobbing. There seems to be trouble up there, said Kabading, and he went upstairs. Nonilo saw him enter Lydia's room, leaving the door open. A few moments later, the door was closed. Then Nonilo heard three shots. He stood petrified, but when he heard the fourth shot, he dashed out of the house, ran to a gasoline station, and called up Jean. Nonilo pointed to the closed front gate. He was sure he had left it open when he ran out. The brothers suspected that Kabading was lurking somewhere in the darkness with his gun. Before them loomed the dark house, now so sinister and evil in their eyes. The upper story that jutted forward, forming the house's chief facade, bore a curious sign. Doctora Lydia C. Kabading, Lady Physician. Apparently, Lydia continued, or was made, to use her maiden name. Above the sign was the garland of colored lights that had been put up for Christmas and had not yet been removed. It was an ice-cold night, the dark of the moon, but the two brothers shivered, not from the wind blowing down the lonely, murky street, but from pure horror of the house that had so fatally thrust itself into their lives. 
But the wind remembered when the sighs it heard here were only the sighing of the ripe grain, when the cries it heard here were only the crying of birds nesting in the reeds, for all these new suburbs in Makati used to be grassland, riceland, marshland or pastoral solitudes where few cared to go, until the big city spilled hither replacing the uprooted reeds with split levels, pushing noisy little streets into the heart of the solitude, and collecting here from all over the country the uprooted souls that now moan or giggle where once the carabao wallowed and the frogs croaked day and night. In very new suburbs, one feels human sorrow to be a gross intrusion on the labors of nature. Even barely two years ago, the Talahib still rose man-high on the plot of ground on Zapote Street, where now stands the relic of an ambiguous love. The Tragic Bedroom as the Kitangon brothers shivered in the darkness, a police van arrived and unloaded quite a large contingent of policemen. The Kitangons warned them that Kabading had a submachine gun. The policemen crawled toward the front gate and almost jumped when a young girl came running across the yard, shaking with terror and shrieking gibberish. She was one of the maids. She and her companion and the foster son had fled from the house when they heard the shooting and had been hiding in the yard. It was they who had closed the front gate. A policeman volunteered to enter the house through the back door. Gene said he would try the front one. He peered in at a window and could detect no one in the sala. He slipped a hand inside, opened the front door and entered, just as the policeman came in from the kitchen. As they crept up the stairs, they heard a moaning in Lydia's room. They tried the door but it was blocked from inside. Push it! Push it! wailed a woman's voice. The policeman pushed the door hard and what was blocking it gave. He groped for the switch and turned on the light. As they entered, he and Jean shuddered at what they saw. The entire room was spattered with blood. On the floor, blocking the door, lay Mrs. Kabading. She had been shot in the chest and stomach but was still alive. The policeman tried to get a statement from her, but all she could say was, My hand! My hand! It hurts! She was lying across the legs of her daughter who lay on top of her husband's body. Lydia was still clutching an armful of clothes. Leonardo was holding a clothes hanger. She had been shot in the breast, he in the heart. They had died instantly together. Sprawled face up on his daughter's bed, his mouth agape and his eyes bulging open as though still staring in horror and the bright blood splashed on his face lay Pablo Cabading. Oh I cursed him, cried Eugenio Kitangon with passion. Oh I cursed him as he lay there dead. God forgive me. Yes, I cursed that dead man there on that bed for I had wanted to find him alive. From the position of the bodies and from Mrs. Kabading's statements later at the hospital, it appears that Kabading shot Lydia while she was shielding her husband and Mrs. Kabading when she tried to shield Lydia. Then he turned the gun on himself and it's an indication of the man's uncommon strength and power that after the first shot through the right side of the head which must have been mortal enough, he seems to have been able as his hand dropped to his breast to fire at himself a second time. The violent spasm of agony must have sent the gun, a 45 caliber pistol, flying from his hand. It was found at the foot of the bed near Mrs. Kabading's feet. The drama of the jealous father had ended at about half past six in the evening. The next day, hurrying commuters slowed down and a whispering crowd gathered before 1074 Zapote Street to watch the police and the reporters going through the pretty little house that Pablo Cabading built for his Lydia. 
Thank you for listening to Stories After Dark, a Spotify exclusive powered by Anchor. This episode was produced by me, Derek, and the story Jessica and I read was written by Nick Joaquin under the pen name Quijano de Manila. Music is by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Stay tuned for a new episode, and to make sure you're updated about the show, please follow Stories After Dark on your Spotify app as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to see the references used for this episode, suggest cases, send personal stories, or further support the show, you can go to storiesafterdark.ph for more information. All of the links are in the episode description.